Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Warren Osborne. Warren is somebody that I became connected with on social media several years ago, someone I've admired for his business background. He's an entrepreneur. He's won multiple awards and started multiple businesses. But I've also been following closely his journey with ALS. He has been willing to talk about this on social media for several years and talk about how difficult this is. One of his posts today was, in fact, I'll read this post for you just to let you know how honest Warren is. This is a post from February 23rd. I did a pulmonary breathing test yesterday. Since the last time I did this test, I've lost... 12 to 39% of my breathing capacity. So that was pretty honest, vulnerable post. And the post from today, um, today we're recording is March 4th, 2021. I just received my first dose of COVID-19 vaccination. I got in because I have a terminal illness called ALS. So I've admired Warren to be honest in social media about his journey. And my hope and prayers that um, the things Warren shares will be helpful for you, helpful for those of you that are business people or looking to start a business or some principles that Warren can share because he's had this beautiful career. And also those of you that are dealing with really complicated life issues, um, ALS being one of the most complicated diseases that I'm aware of. Um, Warren is married. He's been married over 30 years. He has six kids. Um, we will link to his Facebook page. He's got a wonderful family. His wife' name is Trisha, I believe. Eleven grandchildren, and just living the dream. He's nine grandchildren. Nine grandchildren. Yes. And um, is that okay for an introduction, Warren? That's great. Thank you. So, talk about your business. Introduce your career to our listeners. So, I'm kind of a consumer products expert. I've built 11 companies, and 10 of the 11 were successful. The only one that wasn't was the one I started just before getting diagnosed with ALS. Please excuse my third speech, but that's one of the things that happens with ALS. So I don't have that deep, resonating radio voice that I used to have. But I've done businesses from VHS, production, duplication, manufacturing, gift card accessories, Bluetooth speakers, the world's most beautiful, and decorative diffusers, receptor oils. Uh, I'm kind of a China expert, and I speak Chinese fluently. I've been to China more than 110 times. Wow. Mostly for business, but also for service missions and travel. I've manufactured more than 350 million consumer products over the last 30 years. Most of that was done in China. Some of that was manufactured in the U.S., some in other countries, but the majority China. So that's kind of my background with business. With ALS, 
I started getting cramping and muscle spasticity about five years ago. And then Thanksgiving Day 2017, I was getting something out of the oven for my wife she was cooking. And I bumped myself on this shoulder, this bicep, and burned myself. The next day, it started to twitch in that area, and fasciculation began. And that's one of the biggest symptoms of ALS. The muscles start twitching and fasciculating, and they never stop. Within two months, those fasciculations spread from the left arm all over my whole body, and they've never stopped since. So I'm working out 24-7 with my muscles just always twitching, so I run really hot. Well, that... That set me off on starting a lot of research and reading. It took quite a while to get into the nail to a neurologist. In early May 2018, I was first diagnosed by a non-ALS neurologist who gave me a 60% chance that it was ALS. Then I went up to the U of U ALS clinic on May 10th, 2018. And there the doctor gave me a 100% chance it was ALS. I said, goodness be Lyme disease or benign fasciculation syndrome or something else. And he said, zero. I'm diagnosing you fully with ALS. Well, he was right. It is ALS. But he turned to me and I said, how long do I have to live? Because I had been doing a lot of research. And he said, one and a half to three and a half years if you're in the 90 percentile. Wow. 90% of people die within two to four years from first symptoms. 10% live longer, but they're usually getting it when they're younger. You know, I was 53 years old at the time. Well... I had been doing a lot of research, and the most promising thing that I had found was stem cells injected through a lumbar puncture incompletely. And uh, I turned to him and I said, what do you think about stem cells? And he said, quote, there's not a shred of evidence that stem cells or any alternative treatment works for ALS. Don't waste your precious time and money on stem cells or any alternative treatment. 
Well, that kind of lit a fire in me. That's not how Operandi. That's not how studio entrepreneurs work. So I thought, so that afternoon after I booked a flight down to Florida to have my first stem cell treatment, and the next week I was treated with stem cells down in Florida. Those were just umbilical cord stem cells. Well, I read profusely. I read over the net the seven months from the beginning of the circulations. Within seven months, I read thirty-seven thousand pages of ALS research and health research. So I went at this like it was a business with 120% in. While we were down in Florida, we already went and met with another ALS expert. And he said to me, quote, you hit the jackpot. This is the worst diagnosis the doctor can give a person. Wow. That's a little lightheartedness, but it's factually accurate. So what ALS does is there's upper motor neurons in your brain, and there's lower motor neurons in your body, in your spine, and they start to die, and then the muscles atrophy away. So these motor neurons are basically the control mechanism for your muscles. And all of your voluntary muscles have motor neurons that control it. Well, um, I wasn't about to sit around and do nothing to fight this thing. And so I went on a mission to read profusely. Now I've read over 100,000 pages since being diagnosed. Um, that's probably more than I read in grade school, <laughs> high school, college, and my MBA combined. Um, there was only two drugs available for ALS. Neither of them really looked good. So I went on a mission to really research stem cells. And I talked with about 22 facilities all over the world. And there's a lot of scams out there. Interesting. Scam cells. In the whole medical community, there's tons of scams. <laughs> That's not a COVID cough. I, my saliva goes into my lungs really easily because my throat is really affected. So I went at stem cells really aggressively getting treated about every month. And I started mimicking the clinical trials from Israel, South Korea, and the U.S., and then adding more on top of them. 
So the clinical trial would just do one thing, but I would do multiple modalities. So I would do um, umbilical cord stem cells intrathecally. I would do umbilical cord stem cells by IV. And I would inject umbilical cord stem cells into my muscle, intermuscularly. And then I would also went to China twice and did fetal stem cells. And I also went to China once to do traditional Chinese medicine. And I went to Costa Rica once for stem cells. And I went to Guadalajara, Mexico 15 times. So I've done like 56 total stem cell injections. So it's probably more than anyone in ALS history. Wow. Remarkably, between January and, you know, between May and 2018 and January 2019, I experienced a short-term reversal we actually got stronger. Well, one thing that's going on with, it, with stem cells intrathecally is they're very anti-inflammatory. And uh, so my theory was if we keep the inflammation down, we can slow down the spread of the toxicity of this illness and maybe reduce that inflammation. Well, I think they repeated nearly every month for the first few months doing stem cell injections, I think kept the inflammation down and probably revived some some of the sick, fat, bloated motor neurons that were in the process of dying. And so I actually got stronger. And uh, interesting, I went and flew back and met with Dr. Bedlack. He's a world-renowned AOS neurologist. And he said he'd never seen anyone's EMG improve. So I did a... They do an EMG where they shock you and put needles in you and test the response rate. And when he tested it, I think it was November 2018, it had improved from May of 2018. Instead of getting worse, he said he had never seen that before. I attribute that to the anti-inflammatory properties of the stem cells. The clinical trials were doing four injections a year, and I was doing many times that. So I've done 56 stem cell injections. I've also done many hundreds of other treatments. 
So I'm in more than 350 total treatments right now. So there's a number of stem cells in 5.3 billion that I've had injected. Wow. 390 million growth factor cells. I've had 1.5 billion cord blood plasma cells injected. And that puts me at one at 7.2 billion stem cells transplanted into my body. But I've done so many other drugs and trials. I've done probably 20 different drug trials where I'm mimicking the trial or I'm actually doing the trial directly. So I went at this kind of like I went at my business. It's 125% all in. I quit my day-to-day business. Let me tell you something else that I learned about ALS triggers. So I researched causation. Correlation does not equal causation in science. It might equal causation, but it's, say, for example, football players get ALS at 300% the normal rate. Why? Is it the grass? Is it the bugs in the grass? Well, I think it's because the head trauma and the neck trauma. 10% of ALS patients are what's called familial ALS, which is really generic. The other 90% are what's called sporadic. And the sporadic cases are heavily loaded with neck trauma and head trauma. Well, I went and met with, my theory is that pathogens that are in our body are protected in getting into the CNS, the central nervous system, through the blood-brain barrier. Our brains and our spinal cord are protected by a blood-brain barrier that keeps those pathogens out. You have molds, fungus, viruses, yeast, and bacteria all over in your body right now, and so do I. But the blood-brain barrier keeps those from getting into your brain. When you play football, what do you do? You're jamming your head, you're jamming your neck, you're breaking down the blood-brain barrier. Well, I went and met with Merit Sikovich at Harvard and Massachusetts General Hospital. And I've done a lot of work with her over the last couple of years. I told her my theory that I think was sporadic cases that the blood-brain barrier is getting compromised and broken, and those pathogens are getting into the CNS. And she said, quote, I think you're exactly right. Wow. 
but I developed that theory on my own. So I don't think ALS is causative in just one thing, though. I think it's a multiple things build up, and it's a combination approach. I think my trigger was a skiing accident. I was backcountry skiing an hour and a half north of Snowcat skiing an hour and a half north of Provo. And we're kind of east, east and north. And uh, we were done with all the hard stuff. So we were just winding out on the trail. And I wasn't paying attention. I was looking off into the trees and enjoying the, the sun shining through the trees. And uh, wasn't paying attention. So it was very undifficult. Well, I had a bump on the edge. Shattered my collarbone wow. on the right hand side and had 15 rib breaks. Wow. I was life lighted out on a helicopter to Utah Valley Hospital. And I had four surgeries on this collarbone. And I think that was my trigger. What year what year was that, Warren? That was six years ago. Okay. So pretty recent. So let me tell you a few things that are correlated with ALS. BMA neurotoxin and blue-green algae. Blue-green algae is terrible. Uh, so Utah Lake, don't ever go in that lake, ever. It's full of blue-green algae. Heavy metals such as mercury and aluminum. Glyphosate, which is Roundup pesticide. High quantities of vaccinations. Head trauma, especially concussions. Neck trauma. Surgery on the head or spine, going to war, go, go, go type A personality types, physically active and physically fit people that are kind of more extreme athletes, inflammation caused by diet, you know. Lyme disease and then Lyme disease cousins like Bartonella and Babesia. These are the things that I found out a couple of years ago were all correlated with ALS. Well, I had all but about two of those. I didn't have Lyme disease, but I did have Bartonella and Babesia. I had them in the war, but when you start 11 companies over 30 years, <laughs> it's like going to war. So I pretty much have been exposed to all of those. And so my theory was to remove 
all of those from my life, the stress from running companies, and just to simplify and remove all of those, to rebuild with stem cells. And so I went aggressive doing hundreds of treatments over the last few years. Well, here are the results. I don't think it's stopped the disease progression, but I think my treatments have greatly slowed things down. Up until last year, I went hella skiing in Canada every year for three years with ALS. Wow. I dumped a basket. This was for five to six days each trip. I dumped a basketball with ALS at age 53. Um, I went skiing five times this year. So my legs have been minimally affected. But my throat is the worst thing. That's the thing that will ultimately take me is my throat. And I've seen you play tennis and golf, and you've been to Pebble Beach. You've been to the Masters. I see you have a group of people you play tennis with, and you've played tennis in 2021, and you've stayed very active, Warren. Yes, I've been very active. I've been playing tennis up until about two weeks ago and been playing golf up until about three weeks ago. So some of my protocol, I've swallowed over 80,000 doses of supplements. So every morning, every night, I take a lot of supplements. And all those supplements were correlated with someone who had slowed their progression or lived a long time with ALS or with the 40 certified reversals that Richard Bedlack has found. There's been 40 plus certified reversals as of two years ago. It looked for a while when I had that eight month reversal like I might be yeah. number 41. Yeah. But it didn't last. So stem cell treatments, ozone therapy for detoxing, ozone IV therapy for detoxing, hyperbaric oxygen, typically a 3X atmosphere, superimmune IV vitamin therapy, UV light IV therapy. I did the advanced PK protocol many different supplements I've used over the last few years, acupuncture, regular massage, using steam to detox through sweating, removed my metal crowns and traces of heavy metal toxins in teeth, Traditional Chinese medicine with various herbs, 
stress reduction. For nine months, I went vegan too. But I couldn't keep my weight on, so I do eat, you know, beef and chicken now, but no seafood. The seafood is a high-risk exposure to ocean fish have heavy metals. Freshwater fish may be exposed to the blue green algae and make things worse. Uh, up until COVID hit, I was working out of the gym three days a week and playing tennis or some other aerobic activity at least once a week. So I've done a lot. Two neurologists with their ALS specialists said, this is as of like two years ago. They thought I had done more treatments for ALS than anyone they had ever heard about or read about. So I went at it like it was a life or death situation, which it is. Like I mentioned earlier, 90% of people die within two to four years from first symptoms. And your first symptoms were Thanksgiving of, of 2017. That was one of the first unequivocal ALS symptoms. For the year earlier than that, I was having muscle spasticity and cramping which was likely ALS. So you've been four years on this road, four plus years. It's, it's approaching four and a half years now since the first symptom. It would be four years this November for the fasciculation. What advice do you have to other ALS patients that um, if they can't do everything you've done and they just want to do a few things that are available to them, is there a feeling of what worked the best? You've used the term short-term reversal. You've used the term kind of delaying, you know, just give some advice to other ALS patients. Research and read a lot. Find out what, People are doing or having success and mimic what they're doing. Um, I don't think I invented anything new. I just did hundreds of different treatments, but everything that I came up with, somebody else has invented, and I was just applying it. So, L-serene is one supplement that I think is really big. Curcumin, which is turmeric, is another supplement that's very anti-inflammatory. Um, I would suggest just to read a lot and to supplement a lot. If you can do stem cells, they're expensive, 
fortunately, I was in a position to be able to afford it. But if you can do stem cells, I would say add them. Talk a little bit about um, your hope for the future. You've, I think you're talking about this as a terminal illness. You even used the term what it'll eventually take me. I've never really talked to anybody in your shoes, Warren, that's sort of facing, do you have hope for the future? What are your hopes? Or talk just about your future and how you feel about that. Well, I'm still in a situation where I'm still trying every week to find new stuff. There's a new drug that's just out that's reversing ALS symptoms in mice. I just had a meeting with the head scientists in that group, and it's called NU9. And there's a lot of hope that it could actually be the cure for ALS. But we're probably two years away from even being in the human trials. These guys go through toxicity in large animal trials. But in mice, they actually reversed it. Wow. And so there's a lot happening in the world right now. In the last three years, there's probably been more ALS research than in the prior 50 years combined. And how does that make, I'm asking kind of tender questions, how does it make you feel knowing that a cure is coming, but you may not be here for the cure? Or do you still have hope that you'll be here for that cure? I have some hope that I might still be here for Good. the cure. But uh, I've lived a full life. I've traveled to 110 countries. I've founded a service mission and helped a lot of orphan children over in China. I've filled in 56 years what most people might feel in the 90 years. So I've had a very full life. So if it takes me, I've lived as full as you can live it. Do you? But I still, I'm still searching every, nearly every day, reading, studying, and hunting for potential cure. I love your hope, Warren, and I love your honesty. It's, uh, and I can obviously tell intellectually, I don't, you know, that you're all there intellectually and um, it doesn't seem to affect um, your intellectual ability to research, to understand, to explore, to realize there's new treatments, to communicate. It's, and what an interesting One thing I haven't mentioned, you see this hand tremor? I do see your hand tremor. Uh, the doctor up at the U thinks that I likely have Parkinson's disease wow. and ALS. Is that common or is that very unusual? It's fairly unusual, but we know three or four people who have tremors with ALS. 
So it exists in a small percentage of patients, but I probably have Parkinson's disease and ALS. And maybe I just need a severe challenge to try to overcome. How do you, do you get angry, Warren? Because here you've got this wonderful life. You've got six kids. You've got grandkids. You've run these successful businesses. You've got, you know, potentially a lot of years ahead of you. You've taken care of yourself physically. I sense that you're in great shape and have done everything into your 50s to be in great health. Do, do you get angry? And it's sort of you talking to others that may get angry. How do you find peace in this incredibly unfair situation? I don't get angry and I don't get depressed. I haven't had one day of depression since getting ALS. I'm frustrated with it, you know, because I would like to be running another company right now. And I would like to have been able to drive that last company I founded to success. But I need to focus on ALS. So I'm not one that gets depressed or discouraged. I'm a, a fighter. But I, I appear to be in much better shape than I actually am. My wife has to actually put my underwear on every day. She has to help me button up my button up my pants. I can pull my pants up my waist, but I can't button it. And I can't pull on my own underwear. So she puts my socks on. She's such a sweetheart. She's an incredible caregiver. She feeds me every day. I have a feeding tube. I eat all of my food through the feeding tube. So my legs are in great shape, but my throat is not in good shape. Tell our listeners your wife's name and how you met her. My wife's name is Trisha Brightweiser. Trisha Rose Brightweiser Osborne. And we met at a missionary farewell. She was up in Perry, Utah. I was raised on a fruit farm and really learned how to work hard on a fruit farm in Perry, Utah, up by Brigham City. And I looked out, I was up less than the sack, and then I looked out over the audience and I saw this incredibly beautiful girl in the back. So when the meeting was over, I walked to the back to check her out. And they both noticed that I was checking her out. <laughs> and uh, Trisha turned to her brother and said, I'd like to go on a date with him. And her brother said, like, right, like you could give a date with him. <laughs> I set the fire under her. So she researched Brigham City State Dances. We had to go through an interview process, got a card, and came up to the dance up there in Brigham City. I was out deer hunting that day. 
So I wasn't there. Well, she came up a couple months later, and we met then. I asked her to give a ride home to somebody that I was dancing with. And once I saw her, I I was fixed upon uh, dating her. So the next day, I went down under the auspices to thank her for giving this friend of mine a ride home. And uh, we met up and we were pretty much together ever since. That's a beautiful beautiful love story. And you tell our listeners how many years you've been together. Well, we've been married 34 years and we were dating for a few years before that. So it's, it's approaching... I was 18 years old when we first met, and now I'm 56, so. 36 years. That's a beautiful love story, Warren. She's awesome. She she feeds me four to five times per day. She dresses me. She takes care of me. She's awesome. What's it like to be so independent for your whole life and then be so dependent at times um, on Tricia? Is, that's maybe you giving advice to others that are transitioning from a state of tremendous independence to a, straight, a state of dependence. Any thoughts for our listeners on that? It's not easy. When I was a very active person, I played ping pong, foosball, golf, tennis, ski. Very, very active. Basketball. It's not easy to lose all of your function. This is as high as I can lift my arms up in front. That's about your belly button. Yeah. A little higher. My shoulders are shot. They're just thin and bones. If I took my shirt off and you saw my shoulders, they're just thin and bones. Um, I'm in a fortunate situation because my legs have been very effective. And this is a disease that takes away your arms, your legs, your belly, your back, your throat, your speech, your swallowing, basically all of your voluntary muscles get affected over time. It's a brutal disease. I think the doctor was right when he said, you hit the jackpot, this is the worst disease that the doctor can diagnose with. I would take cancer or losing a limb way, way more than ALS. But you only live once on this earth, and so you gotta make the most of it. So right now, my daughter's over here with three grandchildren. And when we're out there, so we'll be spending time together 
tomorrow I fly back to North Carolina to meet with grandchildren and two daughters and their husbands. So we still live a lot, even though I'm very dependent upon my wife now. You're doing a great job of asking tender, answering tender questions. How do you go, do you go down the road of why me a lot? Why me of all the people on the earth to get ALS? Why me? And this is so unfair. Or do you not do that? Or do you do it a little bit at times? I mean, how do you sort of get out of that if you get into it? I've, I've thought that thought before. I think I brought it on myself with that skiing accident by not paying attention and the exposure to blue-green algae. Um, but I don't, I don't get caught up with regretting or worrying. I'm kind of an action person. It's like, let's do the research and do everything we can to make the best of it. It's a good so answer. I don't, I don't, I don't get down or depressed. I probably say three or four times in my want a week to my wife, "ALS really sucks," <laughs> but that's about as long as that lasts. Talk about um, your advice to others that are just facing a potential terminal illness. What, what, what did, let's just say someone's walking in the doctor office today or hearing your podcast and they've just been given an ALS diagnosis or another diagnosis that could lead to a potentially fatal um, disease. Talk to that group and what advice you'd give them. I would give you advice to not get discouraged and to go do everything you can to fight the illness. And to do everything you can to spend time with your loved ones, your friends, your family, your children, your grandchildren. We still, even though I, I have the worst disease on the planet, I still love life every day. And I still get a lot of joy with friends, with loved ones, with children and grandchildren. Talk about um, I two questions that came to mind. If if you don't survive this illness, and um, your this is a tender question, Warren, and your grandchildren may listen to this podcast five or ten years from now. Um, and you have passed if you don't survive. What what do you want your grandchildren to remember about you? To be, to go in everything you do in life with a hundred and ten percent. Be focused. Be driven. Don't don't do something half heartedly. I love that, and I think your legacy is just. You know, all the things that you've done professionally and personally, you've got this big friend group and the way you've hit this illness head on. You seem to hit things head on and sort of um, don't get into denial mode. And I've loved the way you've just seemed to have hit this head on and the 125 percent. And 
I can't speak for you, but it seems like there's a little more peace in your life knowing you've done everything you can to fight this. And where you are right now, obviously, you don't exactly want to be there, but there may be some peace that you've just done everything you can. Um, talk to what what's helpful if if I want to talk to someone that has a potentially terminal illness and I'm their friend, should I talk about it with them? Should I not talk about it with them? What's helpful for your, what are your friends doing that's helpful at times and maybe some things that aren't helpful? My friends have been very supportive and very friendly. Uh, I have great friends and they've all been wonderful. I think talking about it is helping for both both sides. So I'm very open about it. I'm open about it on Facebook and Instagram. I'm open about it talking with my friends. My voice is wearing out. You can probably notice that it's more slurred than I started. Well, you're doing just fine, and I've admired you being open about it on Facebook. Um, we're kind of the same age, and, uh, you know, most I just admire you being open, Warren, and I think it allows us to know how to help each other, and if we're vulnerable, then people are open and vulnerable with us, and I've just loved your friends group. You've got this big group of guy friends, and as I scroll down your Facebook page, you're in Pebble Beach one week, and the Masters another month, and all over the world with your family and your friends. And I've loved their relationship with you. Um, I think we're coming to a close. Is there anything you'd just like to share that's still, that's on your mind for our listeners? This life is short. So live it 120% while you got it. Don't waste time on garbage in life. Great advice. So, um, listeners, I will link to Warren Osborne's Facebook page, his Instagram. We'll post this podcast, and you can follow his story and send him your love and prayers and help um, all you can to solve ALS and all these terrible illnesses that I believe will be solved. And I offer up a prayer that a cure will be found in time for Warren and in time for others that are I'm dealing with ALS and are fighting so valiantly to stay alive and doing all they can. So Warren, on behalf of all our listeners, thank you for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love and for your courage and your faith and your determination and all you've done, my friend, to make this world a better place. Thank you. Really sure you. Thank you.